Just gonna run this dog to see if we can find any type of uh, human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome back to SEC Football Unfiltered, our podcast from the USA Today Network. I'm Blake Topmeyer with John Adams. And it is a coaching search edition of the podcast. John, we normally come to our, our valued listeners once a week, but uh, you know we recorded our, our first episode this week on Monday morning, and I mentioned on the podcast that Brian Harson sounded like a man who was ready for his pink slip by the way he described Auburn after the loss to Arkansas, and John Cohen got hired as a, Auburn's AD, and he agreed. He, he was on the, on the job for about 12 seconds before he fired Brian Harson on Monday afternoon. Uh, well, I guess Auburn would say John Cohen didn't fire him because they announced Harson's firing before they announced Cohen's hiring. But, well, I think we can put these two together. And any way you look at it, Brian Harson is out less than two years into his tenure. We're going to get into what comes next here on the podcast today. We're going to get into the initial playoff rankings that came out Tuesday night. But first, John, Brian Harson went 9-12 and 12 at Auburn, really an, an abysmal record against Power 5 opponents. And, and since the second half of, of last season, I mean, this was a, a tenure that's been in a, in a downward spiral. How will you remember the Brian Harson era at Auburn? It follows a longstanding trend of a very volatile football program and, and questionable leadership. Why do you bring in a coach when there seems to be so such a strong anti-force against him? And, and you can't ignore the role that prominent boosters have played throughout for decades uh, in Auburn football. So to me, that was short-sighted. And that's not Brian Harson's fault. The question I, I would have about him was he did pretty well at Boise State. He seemed like a pretty solid coach out there. How how carefully did he look at this? How uh, did he realize what he was getting into? I, I really wonder about that. How did he think this was going to go? I think he made a bad move, and he's not the first coach to do that. I think there's an ego thing. It's not just the money. There's also an ego thing about wanting to coach in the SEC and say, hey, I'm as good as Nick Saban or I'm as good as Kirby Smart or any of those guys. Uh, wait till they get a load of me. Wait till I get in that league. You know, I, I just think if you're if you're doing well where you are, you need to really think hard about coming to the SEC, particularly to Auburn, given its history. Well, he does have a $15 million buyout coming his way, so it's not <laughs> it's not all bad for, for no. Brian Harson. You know, it's it's interesting, John. I think I think so much of, of the perception here is that Brian Harson never had a chance. And and I think to some extent, 
there's probably some truth there. He he did have the deck stacked against him, and I agree with you on making a hire that the that the boosters don't want. I mean, in a way, I see the boosters as the owner of the program. You know, these college administrators don't want to admit that, but but that's basically what's going on. I mean, boosters own the program because they they help fund the program. It's like a professional franchise. They're they're the owners, right? And so you don't you don't hire someone who the owners aren't on board with, particularly in this era where NIL is so important and you need, you know, that that money flowing in to to help your your NIL and your recruiting and all that. I mean, you you have to have someone the boosters are on board with. Uh, whether you like that reality uh, or not. But, I mean, I do think Brian Harson had a chance. I think he blew it. I mean, how many guys did he leave for, for the transfer portal? You know, I mean, he lost more than he gained in the transfer portal. I think that's one of the other things this tenure shows me is you have to be bringing in talent in that portal. You certainly have to be bringing in more than you're losing. Uh, that wasn't the case for Brian Harson even before the university investigation. I mean, that flow of transfers started – a year ago, uh, outbound out of that program. He didn't recruit well. Um, so I think there was a lot at play here and it it was just a union that didn't work in in any way, shape or form. And so I think from here on out, the less said, the the better about Brian Harson. So we're turning the page (laughs) and we got a coaching search on our hands, which as columnist, John, you just salivate over those coaching searches. I've been through a couple as a beat writer and just get kind of sick you, your stomach twists into knots but as columnist it's uh it's prime season when the when a job opens up here oh yes and and you're right the, the poor beat reporters they've got to chase down every lead every potential candidate and uh it's ongoing there's sometimes it must seem like there's no end in sight you just you just every day is so different from a columnist you just sit back and wait for a program to do something stupid or, or maybe smart, but usually and, uh, stupid and criticize accordingly critique it, so to speak. Um, but yeah, I, I think, uh, in Auburn, if you're covering Auburn, you, you should be prepared for coaching searches. It wasn't that long ago that, uh, Gus Malzahn was being evicted from the premises and, uh, and Auburn was in hot pursuit of a new era. Well, it got its new era, and it was an era, E-R-R-O-R, instead of E-R-A. All right, let's get into the meat of this, John. Here's what we're going to do. I've got six candidates lined up, and I'm going to pitch them to you, I guess a bit as their their agent, so to speak. And uh, you're going to sit on the other side of this and fashion yourself as an athletic director or maybe one of those boosters if we're saying they have really all the power anyway. And uh, I want you to tell me, you know, for each of these candidates, whether you you like it, you love it, or you dislike it. Or you can even say you hate it. I don't want to force you into that corner if you're one of these people that don't say you like to hate anything. But like it, love it, dislike it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to start things off here with a man who would need no introduction to John Cohen. Dan Mullen at the end of his Mississippi State tenure, was working for, for John Cohen. And you could say, well, yeah, but Dan Mullen left Mississippi State for Florida. Why would John Cohen want to hire a guy that left him? Well, if there's anybody that understands the desire to leave Mississippi State, it's John Cohen. He just did it. 
know, he left the, the school that was his alma mater uh, for greener pastures. What he saw as greener pastures at, at Auburn. So, hey, I don't see why that should be any issue that Dan Mullen left uh, Mississippi State. Now, it didn't end well for Dan Mullen at Florida. Uh, last season, you know, got off the, the rails. Dan Mullen got kookier and kookier as the season went. But if you look at things in the totality of, of his career as a coach, he led Florida to three New Year's Six Bowls before it jumped the rails last year. Mississippi State, not one of the easier programs to win at in this conference. He led Mississippi State to eight consecutive bowl bids in nine seasons, and three top 25 seasons. Has been very good at developing quarterbacks over the years. So what do you think? Does Dan Mullen deserve another chance here at what would be his third SEC program? Like it, love it, dislike it. I dislike that, and I've been a huge proponent of Dan Mullen. I love the job he did at Mississippi State. Uh, he won a division championship at Florida, as you pointed out. I think he's a really good coach. But personality-wise for this job, I don't think he's suited for it. In fact, I don't know who is suited for it. <laughs> but I just think the expectations for Auburn, you fired Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn's track record was pretty good and you don't want him, so why would Dan Mullen be good enough for you? I mean, Gus Malzahn at one time was a pretty good offensive coach. Uh, maybe didn't maybe didn't evolve as well as he needed to offensively. Um, but I wonder about Dan Mullen as a recruiter. He didn't recruit well enough at Florida, and that would be a concern I have because Auburn fans, Auburn boosters in particular, don't think of themselves as some – uh, underachieving program necessarily. They think of themselves as being able, they want to they go toe-to-toe with Alabama. And you have to recruit the best players in the country to do that. So I just don't think it would be a good fit. I think somebody should hire Dan Mullen. I think he could be very successful somewhere. I would hire him over Brian Harson. Hmm. i tell yes. you that. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. John, I, I still think there's value in Dan Mullen as as a coach. I agree that uh, that Auburn may not be the best spot for him. I mean, you know, Dan Mullen cracked under the pressure at Florida. I mean, Auburn's an even bigger pressure cooker, I think, than than what Florida is. Um, and and do you really see Dan Mullen cozying up with those boosters? Ugh, I think Dan uh, Mullen would uh, rather be caught dead yeah. in, in a room with those those boosters so um, the word yeah. awkward comes to mind uh-huh. yeah okay candidate number two john and this is the the name getting all the all, all the buzz right now i guess there's a few names getting buzz but i'd say there's the most buzz around lane kiffin lane has the train rolling in oxford led the rebels to the sugar bowl last season Got the Rebels in position to maybe make another Sugar Bowl this season. They're number 11 in these initial college football playoff rankings. Still have a chance to win the West. And uh, the guy's a veteran of the SEC. You know, they, Auburn brought in Brian Harson, the Idaho potato man. And that was a bad marriage. But Lane, he's kind of an SEC transplant. Wasn't, uh, wasn't a born Southerner. 
but he's now coached at Tennessee and Ole Miss. He worked under Nick Saban, whom he calls his buddy there at uh, at Alabama. And you, I, I don't get think Lane would would shrink in the shadows. You know, Auburn, let's call it what it is. It's it's in Alabama's shadow, and you have to have a coach who is comfortable operating that space and can grab some spotlight for himself. Well, Lane knows how to grab spotlight, and I don't think he'd shy away from, from anybody. We know he can develop quarterbacks. We know he knows offense. What do you think about this one? You like it? You love it? I know you don't dislike it. No, I, I, I love it. Um, I thought Lane Kiffin last year would have been a good, a good hire for LSU or for Florida. Um, as you pointed out, great offensive guy, really good quarterback developer, uh, high profile. He can recruit. Look how he's transformed Ole Miss through the transfer portal. He's done what at Ole Miss, what, what Brian Harson didn't come close to doing at Auburn. I wonder if Auburn would have, would have hired Lane Kiffin initially, how he might have worked that portal, I think Auburn football would be a lot better off at this point. That said, I think it would be a bad move for Lane Kiffin. You'd stay at Ole Miss. I'd definitely stay at Ole Miss. Yeah, I've, I've written that, and I've said, you know, he can make the playoff at Ole Miss once it expands to 12 teams. I think he would win at Auburn because I think he'd use the transfer portal and get Auburn back on track. Um, but why deal why deal with Auburn if you don't have to? And I don't think Lane has to because he can make the playoff at Ole Miss. And, and once you're in the playoff, who knows what may happen at that point. Now, Auburn, I think, is a bigger platform, maybe a bigger recruiting platform, maybe more NIL resources. But if he stays at Ole Miss, he's going to continue to win big. I think he'll make the playoffs. They might build him a statue there. Is there other reasoning why you think he should stay at Ole Miss over over Auburn? That's the main one. Here's a fact that, that Auburn fans don't want to accept, at least Auburn boosters don't. You're the number two program in that state. And you're number two to a football dynasty. Now, if Nick Saban retires tomorrow, maybe the challenge is, is, has, is lessened significantly. But still, you're competing. You're number two in the state. You're number one in Mississippi. Lane's proved he could get players there. Lane Kiffin can get a better job, I think, from Ole Miss than Auburn. I Bingo. Mean, I, I, I think that's one of the keys, John. He, he doesn't have to. This, you know, historically, Auburn's got a little higher ceiling than Ole Miss. Now, Lane has turned that on its head. Uh, but historically, Auburn has a little bit higher ceiling than Ole Miss. It's not the gap that, say, like Alabama is to Ole Miss. But there there is a gap there. But I, I think you make a good point. Is it is it enough difference to make the move? Or do you just keep doing what you're doing at Ole Miss and wait for a bigger you know, show some patience and say, you know, this is a good thing he's got going on Ole Miss. If something that he just absolutely can't say no to comes along, then maybe yes. But it's got to be a bigger step up than what Auburn is compared to Ole Miss. I, I agree with that. I think I think that might be the best point of it all. All right. So you love Lane Kiffin as, as a candidate at Auburn. You don't think he would say yes. How about how about someone who would say yes, John? And I, I can I can hear him saying yes right now. It's a voice coming from Lynchburg, Virginia. It's Hugh Freeze. Hugh would, would walk barefoot. If you told him right now, I think, you can have this job, Hugh, but you got to walk barefoot from Virginia to the Plains 
and you got to be here in three days, he would set out immediately, and he wouldn't stop until he got there. This is someone who who is has, I mean, pretty clearly, I think, made it known he'd like to be back in in the SEC. Of course, we have, we all know what happened at, at Ole Miss. It's to quickly rehash that he took Ole Miss on a on a comet ride of success, and it ended amid NCA scandal in one hand and a personal scandal in the other hand of uh, phone records showing calls. Uh, that Hugh made to escorts. And so he resigned. He had some time in the penalty box. He got hired at Liberty. And all he's done at Liberty, an FBS independent, is win, win, win. And Liberty is in the top 25 as they play Arkansas this week. So he's sitting there for the taking. What do you think of Hugh Freeze as a candidate? I love it. As you pointed out, no question he would take it. Um, I, I'm just not, I don't make a big deal about, uh, off the field issues. As you know, I, I love that he, John, it calls to escorts. No big deal. No, I honestly, I, I, it, to me, it's no big deal. If I'm hiring a head football coach, uh, coaches have done a lot worse than that and will continue to do a lot worse than that. Uh, so I'm not hiring a saint. I'm not hiring a priest. I'm trying to hire somebody to win football games, and Hugh Freeze wins football games. I think he would unite the fan base. I think he would uh, would really help the NIL. He'll have that NIL money coming in, and he's he's an outstanding offensive coach. He's been pretty good with quarterbacks. He's beaten Alabama in back-to-back seasons at Ole Miss. What else could Auburn hope for? My goodness. I mean, to me, that deal should have already been done. You think that that's strongly about if if you were Auburn and you could have Lane Kiffin or Hugh Freeze, because I wrote a column right after Brian Harson's firing. I, I said that this coaching search does not need to extend past two two names. I said make make a big offer to Lane. If Lane says no, you offer it to Hugh because he's he's a good he'd be a good hire. You know he'd say yes. Um, I might be more squeamish around issues of moral turpitude than you are, but I think this one, Hugh needed time in the penalty box for what he, he, he did at, at Ole Miss there, but I don't think it needs to be a lifelong ban from the SEC. I think there are coaches who, who deserve lifelong bans from, from coaching high-level college football. I don't think he, he makes that cut. I don't think it went that far. I, I'm fine with the amount of time he served in the penalty box. So my, my thought was, you go strong for Lane. If he says no, you hire Hugh because you know he can win at this level. Would you flip those? Would, would you go for Hugh first and then Lane, or, or do you agree with that order? Well, again, I question whether Lane, it's in his best interest to take the job. I also wonder about Lane, what might be his next move. Hmm. Um, I, I With Hugh, I don't. I, I think... I think Hugh might come into this league as hungry as any coach who's ever entered this league because he's proved to himself and to people that he can win in the SEC. How he did it, you can we can quibble over that, but <laughs> look at how a lot of other people have won in this league. You do whatever it takes, and you be more careful than Hugh Freeze was at Ole Miss. I think he's learned his lesson. I think he he has a sense of boundaries now. 
How to manage a cell phone might be one of them. Yeah, they yeah. sell those things cheap at gas station stations. Yeah, I believe, I've right? seen. Yeah, I've seen. I've seen uh, burner phones serve people really well on TV. So <laughs> I, I think that works in the real world too. I would probably. I, I don't know. That would be a really tough call for me. But I might go. I might go with you, Freeze. Um, and and so, you don't like being told no, right, John? So <laughs> someone can tell you you wouldn't even have to deal with rejection. You just call Hugh. He'd say yes. Lead off there. All yeah. right. Candidate four of uh, four of six here, John. You you love Hugh. You love Lane. You don't like Dan Mullen. Let's see if I can get you on board with another. Matt Rule did not work in the NFL, but there's been a lot of coaches who weren't great NFL coaches who thrived at the college level, including a guy down the road there at Alabama. You know, Nick Saban was a, a so-so NFL coach, and he's the greatest ever to, to do it in college. Well, Matt Rule, he's on the market now, didn't work out with the Carolina Panthers, needs to get back in college football. At Temple, Matt Rule had back-to-back 10-win seasons. At Temple, John, I mean, it's the Temple we're talking about. And then he took over what may have been one of the toughest tasks any coach has ever faced, stepping into Baylor after just the the the, the terrible end under Art Bryles and the scandal that, that came upon that program. It was one of the toughest reclamation pro- projects I think a coach has, has ever faced. And it started slow, but by year three, Matt Rule had Baylor in the Sugar Bowl. He's back on the market now. What do you think of of Matt Rule to Auburn? Yeah, you spelled it out. I mean, he would be a good hire. Uh, I like that. But it bothers me a little bit that he hasn't been in the SEC. And that's an advantage I think Kiffin and Hugh Freeze would have. They know what it's like in this league. It's different. Recruiting is different. Now, you've tried yeah, to and put I, Baylor in the SEC. You said you get some SEC vibes from Baylor, but just I, I do, not, Yeah, not I do. I get vi- SEC vibes from that, and I love what he did at Baylor. Don't, don't get me wrong. I like that. I just would put him put him below those, those other two guys. But, yeah, if you could get him, that would be definitely a step up from Auburn to go from uh, – to go from Brian Harson to Matt Rule. He's the most important thing, and I think this really matters. He showed shown at two places he can revive a program. And that really resonates with me. So yeah, I wouldn't have any problem. If Auburn if Auburn ended up with Matt Rule, I'd say, job well done. You're better off and good luck to Matt with the boosters. I think that's I think that's very fair. Candidate number five. I can't believe I've waited this long to, to pitch this one. I, I've heard from a few Auburn fans, John, that they they like the idea of Lane, but they are enraptured with the idea of Deion Sanders, Coach Prime, who's killing it right now at uh, FCS Jackson State. Now, he's, he's not coached at, at this level. He has less on paper in terms of his coaching resume than what Brian Harson did coming to Auburn as, as a longtime successful coach at, at Boise State. He's been great at Jackson State, but beyond that, there's you know, there's not much on paper of his of his coaching resume. But 
I mean, Coach Prime, Deion Sanders, that's a that's a name that needs no introduction. Um, every recruit in the South, every recruit in America would know who Deion Sanders is. He, you know, he, it's been a while since since Deion played, but his his name has not faded um, from the sport whatsoever. He would have recruiting connections from day one in Florida and Georgia. Those are important recruiting states for Auburn. What do you think about Deion Sanders? Could he make the jump successfully from Jackson State to Auburn? That's such an intriguing proposition. Prime time. I don't think he would be Auburn's best move. Yes, the name recognition, tremendous. Would he recruit well? I think so. I think he would recruit great, uh, which is a big part of it, obviously. I also think he would have tremendous NIL connections. So all of that, all that's great. I just don't think he, I would like to see him at another program somewhere in between to go from a predominantly black college to go to Auburn. I'd rather have somewhere else in between another, uh, a higher level program, but not as high as the SEC to see if he can manage it. There's just a lot that goes into it, and there's a lot of work. And I don't know how hard Dion works at Jackson State. Maybe he works as hard as any coach in America, but Dion's a celebrity. He can make a living being Dion Sanders. Oh yeah, he I mean has, he's, has done so. Oh yes, I mean he doesn't. He doesn't need. He doesn't need to be a college coach. He doesn't need to be successful as a college coach. He doesn't need to have the number one program. I, I mean, he can just be uh, prime time. So what? I, what? What? What do you? What, what's the way to label this? Do you like it? Are you a little less than liking it? You don't hate it. I can tell that. No, I don't hate it. I guess I'm kind of uh, lukewarm on it. Lukewarm on it. We've we've got a new term entering the uh, lukewarm. Yeah, responses here. Is that a southern term? No, or I don't is, think so. Okay, um, I don't want to be too provincial, but see. I like the other guys you mentioned better. Would I take him over Brian Harson in a heartbeat? Yeah. Would you take him over Dan Mullen, the first candidate I picked? Yes, yes, I would. I think he would excite the fan base and recruit well. But then once you got past all that and you start butting heads with Kirby Smart and Nick Saban, Brian Kelly, and Josh Heupel now at Tennessee, I don't know about that. I don't know if Dion would be willing to put, and I have not, you know, there's no way of knowing, uh, could he put in the time and energy required to be a head coach in the SEC? I just don't know because I look at Dion as such a celebrity. You would rather see Dion, you know, who, as you said, is, is having tons of success at this FCS HBCU. Yes. You would rather see him make a stop in the middle, like at a Georgia tech. If he, if he went to like a Georgia tech, and and had a few oh, winning seasons at sure. Georgia Tech. Even if he wasn't t- winning ten games, you know, he he came into a program like that and showed some success. Then fair to say you'd feel more comfortable with him making the jump to to an SEC program like Auburn. Yeah, I I think Dion like or you know even he doesn't have to do it at a Power Five level. I mean, go to Memphis, go to Houston, go to one of those schools. Well, Houston will be. Uh, a power five conference very su- school very soon, but 
yeah, I would just like to see him manage a program, a higher level program for a while. But if, as opposed to getting somebody that's done that and that's, that strikes me as just okay, then at that point I would take, I would swing for the fences with Dion. If I couldn't get any of those other guys, I'd be willing to swing swing for the fences with Dion. One thing I, I I don't know how Dion would would work, John. I think as you put it, how could we know how it how it would work for Dion at Auburn? One thing I'd say is, if it didn't work, I think whoever came after Dion would inherit a lot more talent than whoever this hire is going yeah. to inherit from Brian Harson because there there are going to be guys that he brings into the program. It's not going to be an issue of the guy can't recruit, uh, which was one of Brian Harson's issues. So. You know, I know you don't want to go into something thinking it might fail, but that is something you could keep in mind of, hey, if this doesn't work, there's going to be talent in the program for who would ever would ever come come next. And and Blake, I also think uh I think Dion is very sharp, very shrewd. So really the only thing I'm down great because I covered him. I was a columnist in Jacksonville when he was a freshman at Florida State. And I remember interviewing him one-on-one, and he was the most laid-back guy. He was not prime time then. He was just a freshman football player with tremendous potential. And it just struck me how he promoted himself and and how I think he could do that with a program. So I don't want to sell him short uh, because I think, you know, you could hit a home run with him. There's tremendous potential. I think he's got really good instincts. He knows the game, but as I said, I, I'm just—I would just feel better getting a more proven commodity if I could get a Hugh Freeze or a Lane Kiffin or even a Matt Rule. All right, last one, John. Mm-hmm. How about a proven commodity in Urban Meyer? I'm—I I think you've just been waiting for this one. Every time we do one of these podcasts where we talk about coach openings, Urban's your guy. As long as he's sitting out there, he's your white whale. Well, he's sitting out there. <laughs> he's available. Now, Urban, you know, he's had those health issues he's talked about in the past. He's always wanting to spend more time focusing on his health and his family. And I wonder about Urban and the pressures of coaching at Auburn. I mean, there's there's pressures of coaching at Florida and, and Ohio State. No question about it. There's pressure of a different sort coaching at, at Auburn. And it didn't go well for Urban in the NFL on a number of fronts, but the guy can win at the highest of levels in college football and in the SEC. We've seen him done it, do it at Florida. What do you think? How much do you love the idea of Urban Urban Meyer? Well, you don't even have to ask. I know. Uh, yeah, this is, this is a lock. You go by track record. You don't go uh, – Dion might have great potential and could become one of the greatest coaches ever. Uh, you look at what these other guys have done. They've been successful. Urban Meyer is about as guaranteed as you get. Now, uh, he's won every – he went unbeaten at Utah. Unbeaten. He won nine games at Bowling Green before that. He won at uh, two national championships chips at Florida. He won a championship at Ohio State. He beat Nick Saban head-to-head in a playoff game at Ohio State when he was playing with not his best quarterback – he beat Nick Saban head-to-head in an SEC championship game. Uh, also lost one to him, but he's 2-1 and one against Nick Saban in the biggest games. 
how do you think he would do, John, in, in an NIL era where players have more of a voice, more power, more authority? He didn't operate in the NIL era when he was in college football. And I think, you know, from what we've seen of Urban, he likes to be the the top dog rolling around, you know? How do you think he'd, he'd, he'd function in an era where athletes have their faces on the front of jerseys and, you know, T-shirts, and you got to operate in that world of athletes getting paid by third-party you know, companies and boosters. I think he'd get out his wallet and pay him. I <laughs> think just Urban fund him would, himself. <laughs> yeah, he just fund the program himself. I think Urban is so competitive and wants to win at the high so- level so bad. He will do whatever it takes. You, you raise a really good point with that, though. Some coaches could have. I think he will. I mean, he's the ultimate pragmatist. He will do whatever is necessary, and. uh, I just think he wants to win so much, but I don't know if he thinks he can win enough at Auburn. He, he's got to think going in, can I win a national championship? That's what he asked himself when he had the, when the Notre Dame job was there for the taking and Urban said, even though he'd been a fan of Notre Dame growing up, he said, eh, I don't know if I can win a championship there. He knew he could win one at Florida, and he won two. But I wouldn't have any problem hiring him. And I know, again, I'm not, I'm just not worried about this off the field stuff, uh, calling escorts, lap dances, and eh, just throw that stuff out the window and look at the one loss record. There you go. You're, you're... <laughs> <laughs> okay. I don't know if you should make that your your pitch, John, if you're interviewing for any athletic director jobs, but uh, I do think <laughs> that that's the way some of them privately function, even though they may not be so bold as to say it out loud. All right, John, that, that takes us to the end of our, our coaching candidates, but I do want to touch on the playoff rankings that came out Tuesday briefly. Okay, we're not going to spend much time on TCU because we both think that they were underranked. They should be ranked a, a higher than what they are. We could have a whole podcast on that. But I want to look at this through an SEC lens since this is a, an SEC podcast. You have Tennessee at number one, Georgia number three, Alabama number six, LSU 10, and Ole Miss 11. In between Tennessee and, and Georgia is Ohio State. If Georgia wins Saturday at Tennessee, they're, they're going to move into that number one spot, I would think. As, as far as the SEC teams that I mentioned, these five teams, I think they all have a path to the playoff, even Ole Miss. If Ole Miss is number 11 and they win out and they won the SEC, I, th- I think they could, could get to the playoff because that would include wins over Alabama and either Tennessee or Georgia. I think they would, would, would move into the, the top four. So there is a path there. It's obviously more difficult for some than others, but there is a path there for five SEC teams. What's your response to kind of the the way the deck stacks here for the SEC based on these initial rankings? I thought the committee would have lost all credibility if it hadn't put Tennessee number one. Wins over five nationally ranked teams when it played those teams. A huge win over Alabama, which the committee obviously loves. Uh, so there's no denying it passes the eye test. It's got the big offense. 
it looks kind of unstoppable going into the Georgia game. So that was fine. I probably would have had Georgia ahead of Ohio State because I put a lot of stock in the just dismantling of Oregon that it did in the season opener. But you can, and we talked off the air, you made a point that Ohio State's win at Penn State looked pretty good too. So that's not a big deal to me. The the one team I think that should be most encouraged, aside from Tennessee, because Tennessee came out of nowhere, and I think there's always a concern like, well, there's a, will our loser image from seasons past impact us in this committee? It shouldn't, but I think that would be a natural concern. The one team other than Tennessee that should feel the best about this to me is Alabama. Because you pointed it out, the committee likes LSU more than the more than the coaches and the AP voters did. LSU is number ten. Uh, Ole Miss, with only one loss, it's right there on the fringe of the top ten. And Alabama gets to play both of those teams, and either the the Georgia or the Tennessee winner in the SEC championship game. So it's set up for Alabama. The loss to Tennessee really doesn't mean anything for Alabama. So if if Alabama wins out, they're they're in. Yes. There's no question yes. about it. So do you think if if Alabama beat LSU and Ole Miss and got to Atlanta and then lost a tight one to either Georgia or Tennessee, I I, I think if they lose again, they're out. I, I think if they they get a second loss, they they, they would need some a lot of chaos otherwise to make it in. But as you point out, they have a chance for two more top 11 wins before they would get to Atlanta. So they could inch up maybe to the, you know, even, even if Tennessee uh, and and Ohio state don't lose, Alabama could, could roll into Atlanta, you know, as like the number, number three or four seed. Could they hang on? to that spot, even with a loss in Atlanta as a two-loss team. I don't see it, but do you think there, there's a path there? I don't see it either, but there is a president. I can remember in 2007, LSU won the national championship, and it got in with two losses. And I think it was the best team. To That team was so talented, so, so proficient, I thought it shouldn't have had two losses. And, and it proved that when it beat Ohio State in the in the national championship game, there wasn't a playoff at the time, just a one game thing, but it got in. But so much happened. So much happened in those last two weeks, particularly the last weekend. LSU was down and out. But there was, I, I forgot, West Virginia was pretty much in, just beat Pittsburgh, and it was a heavy favorite. Rivalry game, though, and it went the other way. That's an element of college football you can't discount. A lot of things happen in those last two weeks of a season. But I think there are too many teams ahead of Alabama right now that that won't lose, you know, more than – I think Tennessee Tennessee could lose one game. I don't think it would lose two. I, I, don't, I don't know that Georgia would either. So I just think it would be really, really hard – But I do think if anybody had a chance to get in with two losses, it would be Alabama. I agree with that. I I don't think it'll happen, but if there's a team that's going to do it, 
it's going to be Alabama. I, I, I agree. Uh, unless LSU runs the table. I, I think there's a path to LSU to get in, you know, at number 10 here if, if they were uh, to win out. But the Tennessee ought to be feeling really good because I think now they can make the playoff even if they lose Saturday to Georgia. Be competitive. Get a little little chaos elsewhere. You wouldn't even need a ton. If you're sitting, if the committee values you enough that you're number one right now and you lose in a competitive game on the road to Georgia and Georgia wins the SEC, yeah, I think Tennessee could could still make the playoff uh, because the committee obviously thinks very highly of their, their wins uh, over Alabama and LSU and their overall resume to this point. I think the SEC bottom line is sitting in good position to have once again two teams in the college football playoff. We'll continue to monitor those rankings in the weeks to come. We'll continue to discuss the Auburn coaching search. That is, if Hugh Freeze doesn't preemptively accept the job and and isn't in place there uh, by Monday morning. Thanks for listening to this edition of SEC Football Unfiltered. Just going to run this dog to see if we can find any type of... uh human remains that are left. Listen to Where Secrets Go to Die, The Disappearance of Derek Hennigan. From the Detroit Free Press, a new podcast set in the woods of Michigan's Upper Peninsula. Available on Apple, Spotify, Freep.com, or wherever you get your podcasts.